0: Welcome to A Flame for Christ homilies to set your heart on fire with love for Jesus Christ. My name is Father Joseph Gill, a priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you've joined us for Ordinary Time 21 in August 2022. St. John Bosco was a priest in Turin, Italy, in the mid 1800s, and while he was still a seminarian, he'd befriended another seminarian named Louis Camallo, who was just a great example of holiness. The two of them used to read lives of the saints together and speak about the joys of heaven. So one day, after a conversation about heaven, they decided to make an interesting agreement. They swore to each other that the first one of them to die would, if God allowed, let the other one know where the deceased was after death, whether he was saved or not. They even actually wrote down this promise as a contract, signed it, and told other people about it. Tragically, Lewis fell ill and died at only about 22 years of age. That evening after his funeral, St. John Bosco was getting ready for bed with his fellow seminarians, when they they heard and felt a loud rumble like the sound of thunder from down the hall. It shook the building so strongly that actually several seminarians fell out of bed. It was such a tremor. They huddled together in terror as the roar got closer and closer. And finally, from out of the roar came a voice which declared, Bosco, I am saved. Three times this phrase was said, and then the noise faded away. And St. John Bosco was so terrified that he said he almost passed out at that moment. Later on, Bosco said it was the most terrifying moment of his life, and he actually urged everyone not to make such a pact with one another. But you know, what a joy that would be to be saved. Not only a joy for us, but even a joy for the heart of God, because he is a good father, and as St. Paul writes, God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He invites every human being to spend eternity with him, and the church officially teaches that every person on this earth receives enough grace to be saved. But is it guaranteed that all will be saved? Actually, not at all, because we can always reject that invitation. We can spurn his grace. In fact, Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. It's a reality, and sadly, it's not empty. You know, sometimes as Americans, though, we believe in this idea called universalism. Universalism is the false belief that all will be saved. It's kind of the idea that God's love is so great that at the end of time, even the worst sinner will go to heaven. But this has been condemned as a heresy since all the way back in the 6th century. So, some Americans instead hold what's often known as quasi-universalism, or as I like to call it, not-Hitlerism. It's the idea that Everyone goes to heaven unless you're basically Hitler. But this too is actually not the teaching of the church because the church says that even one unrepentant mortal sin is enough to condemn a soul for all eternity. Also, the testimony of the church acknowledges that salvation is not universal. It's not, not everyone achieves salvation. For example, Our Lady appeared to four children in Garibandal, Spain in the 1960s, and the children asked her, Well, is everyone saved? Who who goes to heaven, hell, purgatory? Where does everyone go after they die? And Our Lady responded and said that most souls go to purgatory after their death. A lesser number go to hell, and the least number go directly to heaven. Just kind of a recognition that hell is a very real possibility for some souls. Or I think of the apparitions of Fatima when the three children went to go visit hell and they saw that it was not empty. There's been many other saints who've had apparitions of hell, such as St. Faustina, St. John Bosco, St. Teresa of Avila, and they all testify that it's quite a terrible place of torment and that it's not empty. So we have to ask the question then, well, why would God send anyone there? And the answer is, he doesn't. It's not him who sends us there, it's we who choose it freely. Love requires freedom. You see, if God forced us to love him, It wouldn't be real love, and it wouldn't respect the dignity that we have as his sons and daughters. Think about back when we were children, you know, and our mom would say to us, all right, now you got to go give Aunt Gertrude a kiss at the end of some party. And so you kind of roll your eyes and you're like, all right, you go up and dutifully, kind of almost mechanically, you kiss Aunt Gertrude. Well, is that real love? Does that really mean anything? of course not, you know, if it's not done in freedom. So love requires freedom to be authentic. And so our Lord must necessarily give us the freedom to accept or reject his love, to accept or reject his grace, to accept or reject his offer of everlasting life. The choice is up to us. But then why would anyone choose to reject such a grace? Because it's costly. It's the narrow way of prayer, sacrifice, self-denial, and love, while the broad way of the pleasures of the flesh, the arrogance of pride, and the glories of this world are, you know, frankly, they're just easier and a lot more attractive. When I was growing up and would go on a Boy Scout campout, my dad was great about making sure that I got to Mass. And truthfully, I liked going to Mass, and sometimes it did, did help that I got to skip cleaning up the pots and pans after dinner, so that was a big plus. Yet on one campout, my dad picked me up at a certain location, took me to Mass, and drove me back to the campsite, which meant that I got to miss a really brutal four-mile hike, you know, straight up this torturous mountain. So when I finally arrived back at the campsite, being driven right to it, one of the other scouts came up to me, a guy named Chris, and he said, Where have you been? And I said, Well, you know, I went to Mass. And he kind of scoffed, and he said, You went to Mass and missed the hike? And I said, Yeah, I did. And so he said, I would rather hike 40 miles than go to Mass. I was floored. He would rather do anything rather than be in the presence of a loving God and receive his body and blood? Sadly, yes, and I think there are many people who would rather do anything else than be with God. Some would rather scroll through their phones for hours on end rather than spend a few minutes with God in prayer. Some people would rather stay addicted to lust than take the steps necessary to be pure. Some people would rather buy a Maserati than give a bit of money to the poor. Yeah, the broad road is easy, and the narrow road is hard. Now, why do I speak about this at all? Because this life matters as it determines where we spend the rest of eternity. So don't indulge these 80 or 90 years on earth and miss out on an eternity with God, who is our true happiness. But here's the good news about all of this. God desperately wants us to be saved. In fact, he wants it so badly that he would rather die than spend eternity without us. And he's given us every tool necessary to be saved. He's given us the sacraments, especially monthly confession, frequent devout reception of Holy Communion. He's given us the Bible and the church to teach us the way to holiness. He's given us the riches of prayers like the Rosary and adoration. He's given us the lives of the saints. He's encouraged us to do make sacrifices and learn a life of self-discipline. He's given us the poor for whom we can do works of mercy. All we need to do is to use these tools, seek holiness and stay close to Jesus Christ and we will have nothing to worry about because he will obtain salvation for us if we cling to him. But we cannot let these tools sit idle because the broad way of destruction is pretty tempting, but it's the narrow way that leads to life.